Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Direct Message with a Creative DC. We are live on Full Service Radio on this snowy, snow, snow day in Adams Morgan. We're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in DC. You can listen in every week with uh, Creative DC. Uh, oh, man. Flubbing the intro this week, guys. Snow day has us thrown off. You can listen in every week on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. and anytime at fullserviceradio.org. This weekly podcast is a dedicated dive into the Creative DC hashtag feed. It's time spent with the people and projects who populate this city digitally and IRL. And I'm your host, Morgan West. I'm founder and director of the A Creative DC project. So you've seen us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at A Creative DC. And we have a nearly million strong hashtag feed on social. It's filled with events and visuals and art and design and products, which is something we're going to talk about today. Uh, but most importantly, the Creative DC hashtag feed is filled with perspective on this city. So this is episode 11 of Direct Message on Full Service Radio, and we are live in studio with a neighbor of Creative DC, actually. We are Brookland buddies. Um, I'm really excited to introduce you guys to Katie Stack. So, hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> hi, Morgan. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Katie trekked over here in the, in the snow from VA. Yeah. 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 We're, we're so grateful that you're here. Um, Katie's the maker behind Stitch and Rivet. Stitch and Rivet is an American-made bag and leather goods studio located in Washington, D.C. Again, she's over on the Arts Walk in Brooklyn. Um, you can check out her work and collections uh, on her website. So she's at Shop Stitch, that's S-T-I-T-C-H, and Rivet, R-I-V-E-T, dot com. And, you, you know, you'll know instantly by kind of looking at the website, but really, the big reason Katie's here today is because I want to talk about two things. First of all, Katie is so technically skilled that it's like a little <laughs> alarming. It's amazing. I, I own a bag of, that she's made, and it is like the most well-constructed thing. I mean, it is like, I'm, I'm surprised, you know. Hey, thanks, man. Filson hasn't come and <laughs> stolen you away from us already. <laughs> it's really amazing what she's able to make. Um, but also... That is equally well balanced with what I'm just going to say. I'm just going to call it business acumen. So I think you're somebody who, you know, again, we're, we're neighbors. We uh, our studios have never been more than, you know, a couple doors down from each other for the last five years in Brooklyn. And I think you're someone who's constantly thinking about and assessing and reassessing your business and trying new things and marketing. And it's been really awesome to see. It's just been really awesome to kind of witness that because it, it inspires me. And, you know, I, I, I just think it makes for a great podcast fodder. Hey, thanks, Morgan. That's very thoughtful and nice of you to say. Of course. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to, to kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and before we do, I really, <laughs> if you're on Katie's website, you may have headed over to the bio page. But I just felt like this was worth saying. I think this is like a good way to start this conversation. Katie has had such varied jobs as parade dancer ice rink referee hat maker and nanny i love that yeah and then also (laughs) 
Katie no longer paints entire sheets of paper pink, but instead has a collection of drawings on napkins by award-winning costume designers from her former career in theater. Okay, so I... (laughs) I love this. This is a circus of a biography. <laughs> it is. And my life is a little bit of a circus of a biography. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love that. Okay. So let's, this gives us like a perfect starting point. So let's start with your former career in theater. Cause I actually yeah. think this probably informs a lot of that technical skill. It does. Yes. It informs most of the technical Great. skill. Let's start at whatever you feel is the beginning. Well, I started, uh, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, which is where the parade dancing comes into play. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, and I went to a performing arts high school. And then after I went to a performing arts high school, I went to a theater conservatory for college. And going to a theater conservatory is basically like going to a trade school. Mm. So you go in, you declare your major before you even arrive. And you spend four years with usually between four and eight other people who have the same major as you do going the whole way through wow. learning skills and putting them into practice immediately. And so my background, I double majored in costume design and in technical theater in what's called costume technology. And that is pattern making and shop management and uh, just making garments when you say shop management yep what does that mean that is budgeting and Mm. human resources (laughs) and sourcing of projects and it's basically project management wow what an incredible skill to be to like have focus on because is that kind of what's missing i feel like you hear that a lot i didn't go to art school but i hear it from a lot of people that that's kind of like what was missing from that is absolutely what is missing from a lot of art school wow and so when people come into my shop now they're like oh everything's so organized and i'm like yeah i went to college for this (laughs) (laughs) wow that's amazing so Mm -hmm. and the other thing that kind of stands out to me about that is that is really intense it is really intense people yeah and you guys are how long how many years four years wow and the classes are year round. So you start a class as, uh, you know, like you start the first day and then the class goes for the entire year. So like when I was in art school, we had a rendering class that was eight hours every Friday and it was just a drawing class. So you went in in the morning and you started drawing at like eight in the morning and then you had a lunch break and then you went back and you sat back on your drawing horse and you draw, drew until 530 that afternoon. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's boot camp, man. It is boot camp and it gets you ready for the real world. It does. Okay, so then, yeah. So what happened? What happened to you in the real world? (laughs) world? Well, so I I graduated from my program on a Saturday afternoon. And on Sunday, I went to work in professional theater and I worked in professional theater full time until uh, I quit to have my job full time. My my business now stitch and rivet stitch wow and rivet. so yeah. how long was that that was nine years nine years so nine years of working on did you work for a theater company i worked for work a couple on... different theater companies i mostly worked for shakespeare theaters and that was how i wound up in dc was oh. i got headhunted to come to work for the shakespeare theater here in dc and i worked as a pattern maker for their crafts department so i managed the crafts department and the crafts department of theater is the department of all of the weird stuff that nobody knows how to make. Okay. So it's <laughs> so like, give, give me an example. So like, <laughs> hey, we've got these 16 guys and they need chain mail and armor 
and we don't know how to make it. Oh, and we only have like $5,000 to do all of this. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> and so then it, you're left to your, yeah. to your skill set. To so you are left to figure, figure out, out how to make all of that happen. What a thrill, though. Yeah, you learn a lot of stuff. Like, you buy a lot of weird things. You buy a lot imagine. of weird things. There's a lot of trips to the Home Depot where some guy at Home Depot is like, what are you doing with the 400 feet of aquarium tubing, ma'am? <laughs> Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's amazing. Okay, so nine years later, yeah. you're kind of looking back at a decade of costume design yeah. and, Cost- and yeah, making theater. things. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so had you always been making bags? Where did, sh- where did Stitch and Rivet come from? And leather. How did you go from aquarium tubing to working with leather? So Stitch and Rivet started when I had graduated from school and I was working as an intern for a Shakespeare theater in Chicago, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And I was interning there and um, interns don't make hardly any money. And I was working as a nanny mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm either going to have to get a retail job, which was like my college job, or, you know, like the substitute income, or I'm going to have to do something and sell it and make it. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to make stuff and sell it. And so I started making things out of scraps from the costume shop, like the things that were literally in the garbage, and uh, started making bags and zipper pouches and all sorts of little things because, you know, the scraps are small. So I started small. I started making things. I started selling them. People liked them. And then what, what were you, what were your like methods of selling? Were you doing oh, craft shows I was at doing, this like, point? This Etsy? was in like 2003. So Etsy okay. didn't exist yet. Wow, Katie. Yeah. So I was doing little craft shows in theater basements and I was doing craft shows. There was like, you know, in churches and theaters and you would just go and you'd do craft shows and you'd sell things and like square didn't exist. Yeah. Couldn't take credit cards. Everything was cash. And like, You'd roll up with your little suitcase and a tablecloth, and you'd go do a craft show. Dude, you're OG. I am OG. That's amazing. Um, and that just reminded me, I used to make t-shirts when I was in college, mm-hmm. and this was also pre-Etsy. Yeah. And that's... I sold them on MySpace. Really? Yeah. Like, it was all like a DM situation. Yeah. We didn't call them DMs back then. No. No. No, because there wasn't really... There wasn't... <laughs> so crazy pre-facebook that's incredible okay so if you guys are just joining us we're we're in studio today with katie stack she's the maker behind stitch and rivet it's an american-made leather goods shop right here in washington dc and after nine years of working in costumes and wardrobes and theater she left that to full-time pursue stitch and rivet so i love how you were just saying you started kind of with the scraps yeah. <laughs> of your yeah. career and started making smaller things. Yeah. So I know that sourcing is really important to you. So it is, yes. Can, can, I would love to maybe just hear your philosophies on that and kind of what led you to, to your sourcing practices. Sure. So since I started the business making things out of garbage, <laughs> yes. I, I wanted to, um, as I moved into buying bigger pieces of leather, I wanted to try to source things as responsibly as possible. And so we try really hard to source our leather from American tanneries whenever we can and to buy tannery seconds whenever we can because the tannery seconds are things that, you know, like they have some marks on them or it's leather. So these are animals that were at one point alive. So there's, you know, spots where there was bug bites or whatever Mm. there was. And because we're um, the way we cut things, we can look at the leather and make a decision like, oh, don't cut that spot. There's like some weirdness there. Or there was a problem in the tanning process. 
And so I try to do that as much as possible. And then I've started working with a couple of American tanneries. There's one in Maine. There's one in Chicago. And we're about to start working with one in PA uh, that has uh, leathers that are available that we can order over and over and over again, Mm. which is great for wholesale. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's... I'm that's a lot of research it is a lot of research it's kind of what is floating through my mind right now is Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's a huge commitment and probably a big financial commitment to source that way as well is that true yeah it can be because when you buy leather to get the best pricing you need to be willing to buy a couple thousand square feet and so you have to have the money to back that up so you've got to have a couple you know leather costs between two dollars on the very cheap end to maybe twenty dollars per square foot so if you're buying ten dollar leather per square foot and you need to buy a thousand square feet of it you're paying ten thousand dollars for a shipment of leather that's a lot of money it's a lot of money yeah but that also again kind of goes back to you know your years with pattern making and all of that so i mean it's just every single day you're kind of relying on those skills and they just they just they inform things that i don't even think about yeah, there's a lot of math involved. It sounds like it. Yeah, it's a lot of math. It's a lot of geometry. It's a lot of um, forecasting of numbers and making educated guesses. The other, you know, like we haven't even started talking about hardware, but when you get into ordering zippers, you mm-hmm. need to know how big those zippers are, how many you need, and you need to know it about 10 weeks in advance of when you need them. So if you need a thousand zippers for an order, you need to know that 10 weeks in advance. Wow, it's amazing. So this is, you know, I was going to kind of push the like business stuff to the end, but I think maybe, maybe let's, maybe let's dive into this now. Sure. Because again, you know, right there, that's the perfect example of, you know, technical skill set, you know, really meeting kind of business acumen and, you know, kind of the necessary focus on, focus on what it takes to run a small business. Um, You know, I think... It's just, it's, you're somebody who's grown their business in the time that even just in the time that I've known you. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, let's talk a little bit about your studio, what happens there day to day, who's working with you. And then let's talk about how you've start, started scaling, really. Sure. So I have one mostly full-time employee. Her name's Claire. And she also comes from a theater background. And um, when she's not working for me, she is working Uh, for a freelance costume technician who makes costumes mostly for Broadway, sometimes for cruise lines. Uh, And so she's either with me making handbags or she's with him uh, making costumes in his basement. And um, her background is as a stitcher. And I met her working in theater. And when I started doing this full time, she was like, do you need any help? And I was like, yeah, yes, 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 I do. I need all of your help. I need all of your help. Get in here. Um, So she works for me. I have a gal who lives in Nashville who does some cutting from her home for me. Wow. And then she ships things back to me. Um, She does a lot of our linings from her home. I have another lady named Michelle who works for me from her home mostly. She works for us um, during our holiday rush, she'll be in the shop with us. Uh, she also works mostly in theater full time and she works mostly in opera. And then I have uh, a guy who works for me on the weekends. His name's Josh. And Josh is uh, now has my old job at the Shakespeare Theater here wow. in town. And he comes in and he'll do some cutting for us. And then I have another employee, Liza, who uh, works in the not-for-profit world. And she has a job with me because she likes to have nice interactions with nice people. Oh, yeah. 
That's amazing. That's quite a crew. I mean, that really is so impressive. It's a crew, yeah. It's unbelievable. And so all of you guys together, you're doing all of the things that are necessary to create leather bags. Yep. And handbags and wallets and what what kind of walk me through like what you guys are are making right now so if you were to call it a collection sure what are all of you teaming up together we are currently working on a redesign for our 2018 fall line and the redesign we're going to simplify some of our pieces and bring back some pieces that i had made in previous years that i sort of didn't have time to make before and the way that we're going to do that is by sending some of the work to a small factory in baltimore so just up the road literally i'm going to go there tomorrow and approve the samples and they're going to make for us a duffel bag a toiletry bag and a tote bag this year wow that's incredible so that baltimore factory let's talk about that yeah um so you made the decision to start working with them i did because it was just time time to grow yep and it was also time to grow and to offer more men's things. Mm. And we didn't have time. We didn't have space in our shop. We didn't have time. We didn't have people. And it's a little factory. They have maybe eight employees. It's a husband and wife team who own it. The guy is the pattern maker. She runs the business. And I go up there. I see the employees. I talk to them. It's very on the up and up, which I like. And I like that I can go visit it and make sure that I feel really good about the working conditions and about the people who are working there. And, um, and it's great. Yeah. Was that, a, was that a big decision? It was a big decision because I felt like it was taking things and going from being completely handmade to scaling the business and figuring out the right way to talk to people about that and mm. to explain that the reason that we're doing it is not because we're not going to make things anymore. It's because I want to be able to make different things. And so to be able to make those different things and to be able to focus the business on expanding, you have to expand in a smart way. And the smartest way is to send some of the work to somebody else. Oh, it's really smart. And I, I, I have a lot of respect for what you just said too, because I know, you know, just kind of being tangential to like the maker community. Mm -hmm. I mean, creating things with their hands is that's the whole story, right? Right. Um, right. So, it, it, yeah, it, it seems to me that it must have been a kind of a, a huge decision to, yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> to kind of loop, to loop in other makers on that. Yeah, and it's also an exercise in letting go mm. because, you know, like people who run their own small businesses don't run their own small businesses because they don't like control of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you do this because you want to have control of everything. You want, you know, like you're a control freak. Yeah. That's what you, that's what having a small business is. It is. You're a control freak. It is. And so you have to, at a certain point, let go if you're going to get any bigger. Wow. And so that letting go process, you know, for me, started with bringing in an employee. And then it went to bringing in a couple more employees and not being there every weekend to talk to every single customer who walks in the front door. Yeah. But then it also goes to sending those pieces off to, like, this little factory in Baltimore who are awesome and I trust them, but you know, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of I'm giving you a large amount of money and these are the things that I want from that money and I have to trust you and believe in you that you can do it. Wow. It's amazing. Well, congratulations. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's just hard. It's, yeah. it's hard, man. I mean, just yeah. talking about small business ownership. I mean, it really is. You either, it's just as difficult to kind of, and maybe in the long run more difficult to kind of keep keep control of, yeah. over everything kind of I think a lot of people find themselves and I can certainly relate to this in my particular industry like on a personal level I've I've 
kind of not delegated or let things get to the point where you know that you're not working sustainably. So I think it really kind of speaks to the longevity, I think, ahead of Stitch and Rivet, the fact that you are able to, you know, make really smart and sometimes difficult decisions about how things get done. So anyways, all that to say, my hat is off to you, Katie Stack. Hey, thanks, man. (laughs) All right. If you guys are just joining us, we are in the studio today with Katie Stack. She is the maker behind Stitch and Rivet. She's got a long storied past (laughs) in theater (laughs) and pattern making and wardrobe and all of these wild things that somehow led her towards uh, making these uh, beautiful American-made leather goods that you can look at during the break, if you like, at Shop Stitch and Rivet. That's R-I-V-E-T. Com. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Katie sells things. So whether that's craft shows or online, and we're going to talk about marketing, and we're going to talk about so many more things about these beautiful leather bags. So thank you so much for listening today. Uh, this is Direct Message with the Creative DC on Full Service Radio, and we'll be right back after the break. Original music from Keto on the break. That's K-I-E-D-O. This is Direct Message. Today's theme song was by Flash Frequency. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are in the studio today with Katie Stack of Stitch and Rivet. We are diving into the how, really, of her creative DC. Um, And Katie's creative DC is all about Stitch and Rivet. So this is her leather goods shop. Um, It's all of the beautiful American-made leather products that she creates and puts out into the world on the internet and at craft shows. (laughs) And Katie, you said something before the break that I am like still kind of wrapping my head around because just by sheer nature of it being 2018 and we're also online focused and you yourself are online focused. Yep. But when you got, you got started doing all of this in a pre Etsy era. I did. So yes. you were, you were showing up to church basements and yes, just ready to ready to sell IRL. Yeah. And it was, it was, that was what you did then. And um, Etsy, I think started in 2005. I joined Etsy in 2006 and I had, because my background was in making things with my hands and not working on the internet, I didn't understand tagging. I didn't understand <laughs> search engine optimization. I didn't understand any of that kind of thing. And so, like, I was pretty unsuccessful for, I'm going to say, the first nine years of selling really? online. 
And so what kind of, because now you're fully familiar with Now I'm fully familiar with all of those things. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. SEO. And so what kind of, what made you realize, I mean, again, I kind of kick things off by saying it's been really awesome. Just, you know, Katie is someone who's just very considerate about her business um, and really, and kind of like a constant state of assessment, right? Right. So you did some assessing. I did some assessing and I realized that if I wanted to grow the business, the easiest way to grow it was to be online. And so I spent some money yeah. and I hired somebody who was like, I kind of know what I'm doing on this. And it was a friend of mine. She was like, you know, give me a couple hundred bucks and two weeks of, you know, messing with this on the back end and let's see if we can fix it. And she did. Wow. And it was fixed. And it was, and she educated me on how to do it. And then from there, um, I got really lucky on some social media stuff and that fed into my business growing so let's let's take a couple steps back because um you know again i i I sit at the helm of so many social media accounts but i'm Mm -hmm. i'm still kind of a luddite about things so let's not (laughs) i am to a certain extent and here's where i will show it um you know when you're talking about working on the back end of things so Mm -hmm. she went in and kind of what boosted up like etsy she went in and she boosted etsy she did some work on um how to get my tagging and to get the the algorithm that is Etsy because everything runs on an algorithm mm, as we all know. Yes. Um so she worked on getting the Etsy algorithm to pay more attention to my to my products. Brilliant. And showed me how to do that. And so now I have a way to and there's a bunch of companies that do that for you now and tell you how to do it, but then there wasn't. Yeah. And so you um you have to go in and you have to edit things and you have to work on it and make sure that you, the way you're describing your pieces and the tagging and uh, metadata that you associate with your work uh, makes the algorithm find you better. Wow. And so we did a bunch of work on that. And then we did a bunch of work on that on my website and linking my website listings. Most recently, we started working on linking my website listings through Pinterest mm-hmm. and my website listing and Etsy listings through Pinterest. And that was where a lot of uh, success has come from is from Pinterest listings. That's really fascinating. Um, because, you know, th- that was kind of the other thing I, I, I glommed onto. He said, mm-hmm. you know, you've been lucky with some with some social been media super stuff. lucky. Wait, is it luck, though? Or are you setting yourself up for success? Oh, no, it was an accident. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> All right, go on. Tell me everything. So I was just like, you know, I was on Pinterest and I was like, oh, I should put some Pinterest things on because maybe somebody will want to look at this. I didn't know what I was doing. Pinterest was new. I think Pinterest came out in 2012. Mm. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Sure. And so like 2013, I was like, I should stick some stuff up there. And 2014, I was like, I should stick some more stuff up there. And then 2015, I was like, why am I getting all these orders? I don't know what this is. And I got into the back end of Etsy because there's a dashboard. And I looked and I was like, all this stuff is coming from Pinterest. And I looked at it and I was like, what is this? And I clicked a button. I was like, somebody pinned that 5,000 times. Wow. Oh. So what was the, what was this iconic image? It was a, it was a photo that I took with my cell phone. You're kidding. Of one of my bags on an old washstand, And it got repinned like thousands of times. It has been lifted by a couple of factories in China. Oh my God. They've been trying to use it. I'm trying to currently argue with them about taking it down. Wow. And it was just a photo that I snapped with my cell phone. It's unbelievable. On like a nice sunny afternoon. Great. Sure. Great. Why not? Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. So that happened 
it really so like traffic's exploding traffic's exploding yep you're, you're selling the hell out of this bag we are mm-hmm. and is this one of the <laughs> it's just it's amazing so and, and all of these sales are happening online they're all happening obviously. online yeah okay and so like to whom are you selling we're selling these bags so this was a bag that we were selling for about a hundred dollars we still sell it for about a hundred dollars and it was sort of this bag that i designed to be you know something that we could make fairly quickly so that we could sell it for a reasonably inexpensive you know entry-level bag price and for handmade goods and not that hundred dollars is nothing but you know what I mean it's it's not huge for a handmade product and um and I had taken it to a wholesale show and had a little bit of success at the wholesale show but not a lot and we were selling them mostly to women in their 20s and 30s Mm. and moms whose kids had just gotten out of diapers so they no longer needed a diaper bag and they wanted a small bag love that yep it's amazing so when something like that happens it is truly you do feel lucky it is like oh yeah it does feel like a blessing right because I mean ultimately if something like that is happening you are able to make money while you're sleeping. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously, I know you have to make these things, but correct. If that if that kind of ship is sailing and you're, you know, you're generating these online sales, that's happening not even of your own volition, right? So it's like, right. yes, you took the photo. That was that in itself was work, but now it's kind of it's 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 oars are rowing themselves. Okay. Right. So, but you're still you still have to keep up with your own marketing. So if we have right. this kind of this kind of marketing mechanism rolling along you're still having to focus on new photos and putting things out on instagram and and by the way you are stitch dot and dot rivet yep on instagram and so what's your strategy there my strategy there is i try to use social media as a way to tell the story sort of of the of the products other than this is a bag and you can buy it but like where did that come from what are we doing what's going on in the studio because what I realize is like my work day is unique Mm -hmm. there are not most people are not standing in a studio making handbags all day they're sitting in a cubicle typing on a computer all day totally and so what I try to do is to tell people like this is what we're doing today it is different than what you are doing today yeah but it's a job yeah you know and it's my career and this is what I do. And so it's trying to give people a slightly different view of what's going on every day in our studio. I love it. And so if you scroll through, I mean, it is like kind of a really lovely mix of, you know, I'm scrolling through stitch.and.rivet. And it's a nice mix of product. And then, yeah, scenes from the shop, hands making things. I mean, really, what what kind of things are you posting that are getting the most traction on Instagram? I'm interested. I'm always interested in these various industries. What gets the most traction on Instagram is whenever we post something, you know, we post a beautiful photo that's taken, you know, by a nice camera in a nice lighting setting, you know. But the story, the thing that people are interested in is the story behind the photo. So, Mm. like, the, the text. And I try to use it as, like, a mini blog post, you know. Yeah. Interesting. That kind of thing, you know, like this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is how we're doing it. This is what's going on. I love it. All right. So the online marketing really involves kind of building out the story, right? right. Like a little bit more so yeah. than just Hawken product. Right. Um, but let's talk a little more about Hawken product. Sure. <laughs> so you've got all these online engines roaring. Right. You're still out there, IRL. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, to say nothing of your, of your shop where people can stop by and purchase goods. Correct. Um, but let's talk a little bit about kind of like the craft show circuit. Let's talk about that also, in, you know, specifically in D.C. and what that looks like right now. 
Yeah, so when I moved to D.C., I was working still full-time in theater. I, like I mentioned before, I had gotten headhunted to work for the Shakespeare Theater to head up their crafts department. And um, I moved to D.C., and everyone was like, are you going to Crafty Bastards? Where are you going? And I was like, I don't know what this is, guys. And they were like, come on, let's go. And so I went to this craft show, and I looked around, and I was like, there are people spending thousands of dollars here. Wow. Like, this is not small money. These are people who have been saving money all year to spend money on this one day. Wow. And I was like, this is how you make a living doing this, is you get into these shows where there are people who save money all year to go buy stuff that day. And so seeing a show like Crafty Bastards and then seeing things like the downtown holiday market was how I realized that you could actually make a living selling things. Wow. And so for those of you who aren't from D.C., Crafty Bastards is an annual, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. annual craft show hundreds of vendors right yeah i think you know like between 150 and 250 depending that's, on the year it's huge it's a um, really big show yeah people come from all across the east coast really yep. to, to show and also to shop yes um and it's put on by washington city paper so i i love what you're what you said about that this is how you make a living yeah this is how you make a living is going and finding shows like this and then having the internet um websites to support when there isn't a show like that yeah and so you mentioned downtown holiday market as well mm-hmm. and that's been how long has that been going on like 20 I years or something no is idea. that long so and that takes over kind of downtown chinatown area yep. um, for like a couple weeks in december and it's always very cold for you guys it is cold it's yeah an and it's a market. long day yeah it's cold and it's a long day it starts at um noon and it ends at eight but you really need to be there at like 10 30 in the morning and then you need to, you know, close up and take your stuff home at night and then come back the next day and set it all up again. This is I just want to I just want to take this public platform and just say I have so much respect for you guys who do shows. It is a lot of schlepping. It is a lot of schlepping. It's a lot and of it's, smiling. It's a lot of smiling and schlepping and talking to people and answering the same questions over and over again. And the reason that that's important is because these are people who are interested in your work and this is your one opportunity. I mean, for me, we have a shop, so we have a lot of opportunities to talk to the customers about what we do and why we do it. But when you go to a big show like this, this is your chance to make a great first impression. So if you're like cranky faced and not wanting to talk to people, then you're never going to be successful because people don't want to buy stuff from somebody who's grumpy. Yeah. 100%. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. All right, so she's making the bag. She's selling the bag. She's smiling to the people. If you guys are just joining us, we're in studio with Katie Stack. Katie's the maker behind Stitch and Rivet. She creates just incredibly beautiful American-made leather goods out of her studio in Brooklyn. She also works with a, a small group of makers in Baltimore to help to help make this vision a reality and get these bags to the people. Yep. Um, we're also we're touching a little bit on on craft show culture i think yeah. in dc yeah. and and kind of in general so you know we talked about crafty bastards we talked about downtown holiday market are there enough opportunities in dc for people to sell their goods well, are there too many there are good opportunities in dc there's good opportunities along you know like the mid atlantic has a great crafts culture you can go up to Philly, and there are great craft shows there. There are amazing craft shows in Baltimore. Mm. The Charm City Craft Mafia does just a bang-up job on producing and making a great craft show experience. The Richmond Craft Mafia does the same thing in Richmond, Virginia. And so you can, you know, there's probably six or eight opportunities a year to go to do these shows that are big, high-quality shows where you can sell your work and meet a ton of people. Wow. 
And that's something that you've kind of invested a lot of time and frankly, like money in yeah. too, right? Yeah. I mean, because the barrier, the barrier of entry, the cost, the cost of entry into these things is not. It, it depends on the show. You know, a, a good show might cost you three or $400 a day. There's a few shows right now that are asking for like really outrageous prices and I just skip them. Yeah. It's just yeah. not, it's, it's not worth not it. worth it in the end. No, because you know, like you have to ask yourself the question, are you really going to make six times that money back? And if you're not, then you kind of have to say, I don't think I'm going to do this. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, the, and the other thing too, you know, kind of going back to the schlepping. So, yeah. I mean, you're somebody who I know who had, I mean, you've created entire booths. Like you've yeah. had people fabricate. Yeah, I have a, I, I am very from. lucky because I have a theater background. I have a team of people who I can call on who do do some fabrication for me for that kind of stuff. So wow. I can call up some people and say, hey, would you build for me this booth it needs to fit in a 10 by 10 foot space oh and I need it to fit in a cargo van and I need to be able to put it together by myself with no power tools it's unbelievable and they make it happen wow Katie you rule dude (laughs) (laughs) it is amazing I mean it's just it's just kind of all of the it's just the mechanics behind I mean this is something that I, I hope we kind of get across every week but it's just the ins and outs of just creative industry period. I mean, ultimately it's like our goal is to create something beautiful, right? So right. it's like you want to make mm-hmm. a beautiful bag. You just want it to be, you know, sustainably sourced. Right. All it, you know, you just want it to be American leather. You just want it to we be American just, made with high quality hardware by it. people who made a living wage it, and is it displayed so much, beautifully in a store. Is it so much to ask? But yeah. it is. It, it's just the amount that goes into it. And, you know, I think it's so, it, it's like reassuring and it's like admirable to know that it's just like, because, you know, I, I feel like I've actually probably been selling you a little bit short. I mean, this woman is like, I mean, you are at the, you know, we are all together in, in the heat. But, like, you are at the top of your game in Washington, D.C. craft circuit. And you don't have to, she, she probably won't agree. But you are, like, I mean, you're it's, consistently voted, like, it's, you know, best crafter. And people love your work. And you're employing people. Like, you're very successful. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah I worked really hard at this. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where... It's funny because people meet me and they're like, wait, you're, you're the one who owns this? And I'm like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> I look like a preschool teacher. <laughs> but, you know, like it's it's one of those things where um, it's a lot of hard work and you have to make it look easy. You do. You know that. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work, but you have to make it look easy. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. Um, again, you know, Katie's work is just phenomenally beautiful. If you guys have not had a chance to check out um, shopstitchandrivet.com, please do that. Please go see her in Brooklyn yeah. on the Arts Walk. What do you do? You have any shows or anything coming up? Uh, still waiting to hear back. I put in some applications on some shows because they're juried, so you have to put in an application, and then they go to people who judge them and they tell you if you're in or not, and then from there you pay a fee and you show up in the day of the show. So we're waiting to hear um, back on some applications we put in for some shows, and uh, we'll know that in the next month or so, so Great. follow along on social media. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Please do follow along on social media. Katie, can you give us a rundown of, of how, where we can find you on the internet? Sure. You can find us on Instagram at stitch.and.rivet. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Stitch and Rivet and uh, on our website at shopstitchandrivet.com. Wonderful. And I do have one more question for you before I let you go back off into the snow day. Into the snow day. (laughs) We tend to ask our guests, you know, what's one thing that they 
What's one thing you wish that people knew about DC that maybe they don't? And it can be, I'm totally putting you on the spot. It can also be like a recommendation or like a suggestion or like a hidden gem. Just, you know, one thing that makes DC special to you that you're willing to share. I think my favorite part of DC is actually, um, I like to go to the sort of hidden places in DC. And one of my favorite ones is the Olmstead Summer House. It's mm. on the Capitol grounds. Um, it's beautiful in the spring and the summer, and it's great. You know, you like go somewhere, pick up a cup of coffee, walk over there, have a nice little like rest, and sit that. and be surrounded by beautiful plants. And it's set up to be a watering station for people and animals wow. near the Capitol ground. Yeah, it's great. gorgeous. Great recommendation. Yeah. And that's the Olmstead, O-L-M-S-T-E-A-D? I believe so, yeah. Sure. All right. Yeah. Summer House. Olmstead mm-hmm. Summer House. Wonderful. Katie, what a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah. So everyone, please keep up with Katie. Um, I guarantee you she will have a, an enormous roster of shows to, to announce before too long. I will certainly be staying tuned. And that's it for today, guys. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. You can expect direct message every single week. We'll be back next Wednesday at 1 p.m. live on Full Service Radio. You can listen in anytime at fullserviceradio.org. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at A Creative DC and online at www.acreativedc.com. This project would not exist without perspective outside of our own. And we are so grateful to be able to take these weekly dives into the A Creative DC hashtag feed. Big thanks to Katie Stack for joining us today and big, big thanks to our friends at Full Service Radio. You can follow along with them at fullserviceradio.org, at Full Service Radio on Instagram, and at Full Service RDO on Twitter. Next week, I'll be back. I'm Morgan West, and this has been Direct Message with 8 Creative DC. Later, guys. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.